Well, good morning. Aren't you glad Jesus does what he does? Amen. Let me share a couple of things, and we're going to pray and dig into the Word this morning. Last week, we had our dentistry, mobile dentistry clinic here from the Florida Baptist Convention. We had a number of people who came in for services uh, last week who were able to uh, have some dental work done that they could not have it done any other way, and so I'm thankful for that ministry, for Jennifer and her leadership in that, and then all our volunteers who worked. Uh, gospel presentations were made. Matter of fact, I know of at least one person who came to the clinic who was uh, actually in our first service this morning. So I praise the Lord for that. And so uh, we're just praying for continued fruit from that. So please pray uh, about that. Uh, also, our just give you a heads up to be praying about this. Our outdoor ministry is going to be on their annual goose hunt this month. They leave February the 19th. They're hunting for two days, traveling back on the 22nd. And every year that they've gone, uh, the Lord saves somebody. So it's a great outreach. They'll take folks with them, and uh, they'll hear the gospel. They do Bible study times along uh, after their hunts. And so it's a time of spiritual enrichment for those who are saved. It's a time of evangelistic outreach for those who are not. And so please pray for them as they prepare for that. And may God just bless that trip as he has those in the past. Well, let's pray together, and we're going to dig into the Word of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you for blessing in the last service. Thank you for being here in this one. I ask you now to help me, Lord, preach the Word. I want to honor you. As I prayed a moment ago, I desire to glorify you and exalt you and help me, Lord, to do that. Help me to be very accurate in preaching the Word this morning, and please give me the ability to do that, giving me clarity of mind and clarity of speech and conciseness, Lord, to deliver this truth and, Lord, to do so with conviction, with compassion. Lord, I pray to do so with authority. Please use me as your mouthpiece. Please, Lord, now open our hearts and minds to hear what you have for us to hear. I pray you'll take away distractions, tear down deceptions, and speak to us. May you be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29 is our text for this morning. We're returning to the book of Hebrews. We stopped uh, for the Christmas season. We were in chapter 12 in our study of Hebrews from last year, and we stopped at chapter uh, almost the end of chapter 12 for our Christmas series, and then the Lord had placed things on my heart to talk about in the month of January. And so, Lord willing, this month we're going to finish up the book of Hebrews. We'll finish up chapter 12 today, and then we'll begin the very practical aspects of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. And so we'll do that for the remainder of this month before we move on to what God has for us next. But I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. We are receiving an unshakable kingdom. We are receiving an unshakable kingdom. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. I wonder today if the church of Jesus Christ in America may be the most distracted of all time. Maybe not, but maybe so. We're busy. We're doing a lot of stuff. We're continually doing this or that, and we're so busy 
doing and going, but all too often we're busy and we're not busy with the things we really ought to be busy with. I think that we're easily distracted by the world around us and, and we don't have much of a heart, it seems, to seek after God. Last Sunday, I was with my D group, our men, as we met together for uh, just talking about um, what God had said to us through the week in our scripture reading. And we had read that week, uh, one of the readings, one of the daily readings was Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, we have the burning bush account, Moses' encounter with the burning bush there in chapter 3. And, and if you remember, uh, Moses is taking care of the sheep and and he sees this bush, it's on fire, and it's not consumed, and he's curious about that, as anyone would be, and, and so he turned aside to see what this was all about. And the Scripture says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, he spoke to him. We were talking last week about how we get so busy, we don't even see the burning bushes. We don't turn aside to spend time with God. We're not seeking after the things of the Lord. We're not seeking after hearing from Him so that we might obey Him and be transformed by Him and serve Him and worship Him because we're just so busy with a lot of activity that's going on in our lives. We are definitely extremely distracted, preoccupied with stuff, activities, things of earthly enjoyment, and we often ignore God, His work, and His will. Sometimes... We're peer pressured by the belief systems and practice of modern culture so that we abandon God and we don't move on in our spiritual life and our service. And we're like these Hebrew Christians that were written to here in this letter of Holy Scripture. They were facing cultural opposition. They were facing persecution from the world around them. They had left everything to follow Jesus and now... You know, their families, their culture was pressuring them. And there were many of them contemplating compromising the truth and just backing away from a devoted life to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage them by the Holy Spirit's inspiration to keep on, to persevere, to be faithful. Don't, don't give in, but endure. Go on with the Lord. And he issues by the Holy Spirit's inspiration several severe warnings in the book of Hebrews for those early Christians. And I'm telling you, we need those warnings today as the people of God. Today's passage kind of sums up what the writer had been saying in terms of his warnings to those early Christians. So look with me in verse 25 and through 29 of Hebrews chapter 12. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace 
by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The main idea of this sermon is, do not refuse to obey the Lord, but serve Him, because we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. Don't be distracted by your own desires. Uh, don't be distracted by the allurements of the world. Let's not be distracted by the convincing philosophies of mankind, the cunning, often convincing philosophies we're warned about in Scripture to not give in to. Let's not go that way, but let's stay faithful to Jesus Christ. I see much compromise and abandonment of scriptural authority in the church today. I see a lot of rationalization to accept our sin. And all of that is abandonment of Jesus. And there are two exhortations that will help us today, as it was helpful to those early Christians that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. And here's the first exhortation, the first command, and that is, do not refuse to obey the Lord. Verses 25 through 27. Do not refuse to obey the Lord. Now, notice how this is worded. It's worded in the negative. He didn't say, obey the Lord. He said, do not refuse him who speaks. That means, don't refuse to obey him. He put it in the negative because it's a warning not to do this. Matter of fact, what he's doing is, again, summarizing these warnings that we've seen and looked at throughout the book of Hebrews. Now, notice this phrase, do not refuse him. That's terrifying. That's a terrifying phrase because what it means is that God and his sovereignty has given to us the ability to choose and we can reject him. And we have responsibility to move on with him. Now, he gives us the power to do it because we could not on our own. He enables us and strengthens us, but the fact is there is a clear responsibility for those of us who are saved to continue on in the faith, to be faithful to the Lord, to grow in our walk with him, to become more like Jesus. Now, permit me to explain these verses. There's a warning here. Do not refuse God. There are consequences if we do. Now, notice the Scripture says here, for they did not escape. Who is they? They refers to the people of Israel. And in particular, in this context, he's speaking about the Mount Sinai experience. But this warning goes all the way back to chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, where there's a warning there not to neglect so great a salvation. What he's saying is, do not neglect to live out the redeemed life. You've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now what you are to do is you're to live out this redeemed life. You have responsibility to obey the Lord. Now the, the people of Israel here were miraculously delivered from Egypt. Remember, they were there for 430 years, and then God sent Moses to be their deliverer, and God was going to do this through a series of 
plagues that would finally force Pharaoh into letting the people go and they left out and they were headed out to the promised land that was promised by Abraham. Uh, Abraham had received that promise many years ago. God had chosen him to be the father of a nation that would be raised up that would represent God on this earth and, and call people to worship the one true God. Now, they didn't do too good a job at it, but it would be from that nation that one would come that would be the great high priest, that would be the ultimate sacrifice, that would, that would um, atone for the sin of the world and provide the way to be reconciled to God, forgiven and made right with God and, and adopted into his, his family. And so they'd been rescued then from, uh, from um, Egypt. They'd received the law. They had gone up to the Jordan. They were about to cross into the promised land. There were 12 spies that were sent out, and they looked at the land. They came back to give report, and 10 of those spies, one from each tribe, there were 12 all total, 10 of those spies said, it's amazing how fruitful this land is. It, it, it's, it's just unbelievable how bountiful it, how bountiful it is. But we can't go over there. We're going to die. Our kids are going to die if we go over there. It's just, it's just impossible. The cities are fortified. The people are big. They're mighty. There's no way to defeat them. And then Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, says, hang on a minute. Uh, God will enable us to do this. We, we just need to go. Y'all come on. And the people believed the ten disobedient spies and not the two obedient ones. And because of their disobedience, God did not permit them to enter into the land of Canaan. They were not permitted to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. And so they had to stay in the wilderness until those age 20 and older died out, and that next generation would come up, and then they would go in to the promised land. So they disobeyed God, and it cost them. They settled for a wilderness experience when they could have had the land of milk and honey. Because they disobeyed God. They refused to move on with Him. Then he goes on to say, the writer of Hebrews here does, if those who refused Him who spoke on earth, now God's speaking through Moses, uh, He's talking about those at Sinai, how will we, notice He includes Himself in that, in that plural pronoun there, because, see, He's speaking to believers how, how will we escape if we refuse him who speaks from heaven? Now, who's that? Well, that's the Lord Jesus. Go back over to chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and what you find is, in, in the days of old, God spoke through his prophets. In these last days, he's spoken through his son, he said. So if those who received God's word at Sinai, they didn't escape disobedience, how much more will we not escape who've been spoken to by the Lord Jesus Christ and received the gift of grace? How will we escape if we refuse to obey? So what does this mean? Well, let me show you two things here. First, refusing to obey results in discipline. Now, before I go any further, I want to make sure we're clear on this. Anyone who does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, who do not call upon Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, those persons, him or her, will experience an eternity paying for their own sin. That's the just punishment 
for our sin. Now, that's, that's hard for some to believe today in our, in our culture. But, you know, the punishment must always fit the crime. Don't you agree? If someone premeditates murder and they take a person's life uh, and, and it's, they're found guilty of premeditated murder, then depending on what state you're in, one of two things are going to happen to you. It's either life in prison without parole or, or it is death. In either case, you're spending your entire life paying for that sin. Now, now, if you have any type of logic about you whatsoever and any type of sense of justice about you, you, don't, that, doesn't give, you, you that doesn't give you heartburn. You believe that's a just thing. I mean, you, you believe that that's the, tr- the correct punishment for taking someone's life like that. Well, the correct punishment for rebelling against holy God is eternally paying for sin. Now, we can't overcome that on our own, and God in His love does that by sending Jesus to satisfy His justice uh, for our sin. And if we believe in Him and give our lives to Him, then we are forgiven, and then we have eternal life, and we're rescued from that penalty because of what Jesus did. But understand, if we refuse Him who speaks the gospel, it is a dangerous thing. But that's not who's being talked to in this text. In this text, he's talking to Christians. Uh, He is writing to Christians who are contemplating not moving on in their walk with him. Not doing what Paul said we should do. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 where Paul wrote, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of of me. Now, the problem with many of us is we get saved, we learn a few things about what our conduct should be and should not be, and that's where we stay. We don't really move on to a closer intimacy with God. We don't really move on to a Christ-likeness. We're just, we're just stale where we are. We're just satisfied with that. And sometimes even worse, we, we know we should move on, we know we should, and, and yet we're allured by the world and we're afraid of what a pursuit of God will cost us. So we don't move on. We stay where we are. And let me tell you something, God loves us too much to leave us like that. And what He does is He disciplines us. And remember, now that's what verses 7 through 11 was about, actually going up to verse 6 through 11 there in Hebrews 12 talked about. Remember, we dealt with the subject of the discipline of God in those verses. And that happens in various ways. Sometimes it storms in life, trials, tribulations, hardships, hurts. Now, let me just say to you that God uses those things when you're even walking with Him. (laughs) You, You go through valleys when you're even walking with Him. And He uses that to, to refine us, to grow us, But sometimes we're refusing sanctification in our lives. And so what God does in His love is He begins to discipline, to prod us along. And it's painful because verse 11 says in chapter 12 that it it, it is painful. It's not pleasant. Nobody likes to be disciplined by God. Did you like to be disciplined when you were a kid? Anybody? I mean, if you you raise your hand, you're a weirdo. I'm just telling you. Nobody likes that. It's painful. But notice what verse 11 says. It, 
It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So what God desires for us is to be righteous. He wants us to be like His Son. He's conforming, conforming us to the image of Christ. And notice that it's peaceable, meaning that when we're pursuing righteousness, the peace of God prevails in our hearts. You might be going through a storm right now because God's prodding you along into deeper levels of sanctification in your life. He'll use that. And we should be saying, Lord, what is that? So I might correct that and move on in my, in my walk with you. But let me tell you a danger. A danger is that we may keep resisting that sanctification to a point where we never have a chance to move on in some areas of our lives that God had for us. And, and we, just, we, we just are going to miss out, just like those in Israel. They say they missed the land of milk and honey. They had to settle for the wilderness because God would no longer permit them to move on into that because their disobedience was so stark. Who knows what we could miss if we keep this up? We've got to move on in our walk with God so that, that He just uses us the way He desires to use us. So refusing to obey results in discipline. But a second thing I want you to see is, verse 26 and 27, refusing to obey results in loss of reward. Now let me explain what I mean by that. First, let's read these verses, 26 and 27. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. <clears throat> Now, that's a head-scratcher a little bit, isn't it? We've got to kind of dig down into that one a little bit to figure out what all is going on here. Now, <clears throat> this shaking, verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, that is, at Sinai, when he's given the law, the presence of God was thunderings and lightnings and trembling was taking place, and so there was a, a shaking that was happening there. But then one day God will shake all the earth, so that all that's left is what's eternal. All material things pass away, and, and we, just have, we just have what's eternal that's left. Now, <clears throat> how many of y'all have ever um, had a rug that's dirty? It's got all kind of stuff on it, and you take that rug and you go out in the yard and you, you beat it off on the porch? <laughs> Or a tree outside, you know, you have to go, poof, you get dust all in your face. But you start, you beat that enough and all that stuff comes out. All that remains then is rug, not a whole bunch of dirt. Well, one day the Lord's going to shake the universe. And all that's going to remain is that which is eternal. That's what he's talking about here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, The world is passing away and the lusts of it. When we don't move on in our spiritual growth, it's because we love our own desires more than Jesus. When we're more enamored with material things than we are the things of the Lord, nothing wrong with having things. Those things ought not ever have us. And if our pursuit's just to get, then we're building a life that's 
temporary and the things in it are not going to last. I see this today. I see it all around us. I see professing Christians, whether they are real Christians or not, I, I can't tell because there's such inconsistency. The Scripture warns against this. They are partying. They are involved in sexual sin. They are re rejecting God's design for sexuality. They are unloving toward others. They're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And if they are Christians, God will move to correct them because they're, they're dangerously wasting away their lives. Their lives are being wasted. Because one day what's going to happen is when the Lord shakes the earth, all that they love is going to be gone. Their houses, their lands, their vehicles, their pursuits, their pleasures, their praises of people, it's going to be gone. And all that will be left is what's eternal. And if we have spent our life refusing to move on with God, and we've spent our life loving the things of the world more than the things of God, then we're going to find out that we've not lived a life that had eternal impact, and it's going to result in loss of reward. It's going to result in loss of reward. Now, this shaking of the earth occurs in the final day of the history of this universe. The Bible describes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11, or actually verses 10 through 13, that one day God's going to uncreate this universe and create a new heaven and new earth. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 said... Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. But the eternal kingdom of God is established, and it will never pass away. Now I know that in our culture today, sometimes these things are very hard to accept by some, but what I'm telling you is, even though it's hard to accept by some, it does not mean they're not true. God has made it clear. And so we need to understand that and embrace that and live out the truth of God. We're receiving an eternal kingdom that will not pass away. But so many, so many of us spend our lives on a whole bunch of activity that is not eternal and our lives are going to be wasted because of that there are some things that are eternal God and His kingdom the Word of God the souls of people and to the extent that we're involved in those things is the extent that we're involved in the things of eternity when we're serving the Lord living for Him, witnessing for Him, using the gifts He's given us, giving for the kingdom causes, living out a life of praise to Him, then we're doing something that has eternal value. We're impacting lives. We're glorifying God. We're pleasing to Him. There is eternal fruit that we're to be producing. When we're gone or when we're standing before the Lord... Uh, I, I hope we have something to present to Him. I hope we have not wasted our lives on frivolous things that are not eternal in nature.
But if we don't keep Jesus first, and if we refuse to obey Him, that's exactly the state we'll end up in. So we're told in Scripture, do not refuse to obey the Lord. Now, secondly, we're told this in verse 28 and 29. Serve the Lord, for we are receiving an eternal kingdom. Let me tell you what I, what I know. Life is a continual change. When you're younger, sometimes you don't recognize that as much. When you get a little bit older, you recognize how much things change and how quickly they change. I think of that in my, my hometown. I still enjoy going back to my home place. There's a peace that I have there uh, when I go there. But I'll tell you, that whole area has changed in the almost 30 years that I've been away from there. It's not the same. Farms where I once knew the people and even, even had cattle on those places now have houses on them. And those people I remember that were so dear to me those years ago, they're no longer on the earth. Things have changed. The whole area has changed. The culture has changed. So it's just not the same. I can think back on those things and remember, I can think back on it uh, in a nostalgic way and have a warm little fuzzy. But I'm going to tell you this, those days will never come back. I mean, they're gone. June will be 24 years being here. And I'm going to tell you what I've seen in, in almost 24 years. I've seen a lot of change. And things are different today than they were 24 years ago. And they'll never be the same. It's a continual change uh, in, this, in this life. But I'll tell you this. There's one thing for sure. We're receiving a kingdom that will never be shaken. We are receiving a kingdom that will not pass away. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be overcome. We're receiving a kingdom that will always be. The best days for us lie ahead, not behind. Because we're receiving an unshakable kingdom. We have been redeemed by the glorious Lord from our sin to have life with Him. So what's the proper way to respond to that? What's the proper way to live in light of that? Well, we're, we're shown that here in these verses. Verse 28, we're holding on to God's grace. We're to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Awe and reverence. We're to serve Him acceptably or pleasingly. And that's what we're to do. Not back up, not refuse to move on. Having what we have as a gift from God means we're to serve Him. That's what we're to spend this life doing. Now, that word serve there in verse 28 is a word that was used to describe the activities of the priest, the work of the priest. Do you know you're a priest of God if you're a saved person? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
We will serve God with fervor. We will continue to obey Him. We will continue to grow. We will continue to become more Christ-like. We're to follow the Lord's example, which was complete obedience. That's what we're to do in light of what we're receiving. Now look back in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The Scripture here says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, we talked about that when we studied those verses. Weights are things that are not necessarily really bad. It's not bad stuff, but it keeps us from the best stuff. And it could be a lot of our activities that busy us up, take us away from the things of God, take us away from serving and, and, uh, and being devoted to the Lord. Then there's sin, identifying sin in our life and going to war against it. Now, I thank God for His grace. His grace abounds. If we confess, He forgives. So I'm grateful that when we came to Christ, our sins forgiven past, present, and future. Sometimes if we're not careful, though, we'll use that as an excuse for our sinfulness. What we ought to do is not just say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, which we're not, I know. And then don't do anything about our sin. Just treat it lightly. We should go to war against our sin. We should go to war against it. And then we're to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are to pursue Him. And our entire life is to be caught up. See, here's what we do. We, we compartmentalize life. Works here, recreation here, church and spiritual life here. It's not the way it is. It's your spiritual life, your walk with God permeates everything. and Everything you do is affected by who you are in Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes you might be saying out there right now, well, that's easy for you to say you're a pastor. That's what your job is. <laughs> you do this stuff all day long because that's what you're called to do. But I have to go to work. I've got to do this and do that. Have you ever thought that God calls us to do everything, including our secular jobs, for the glory of God? Have we ever thought about the fact that maybe what we should be doing each day is getting up and going to work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Have you ever thought about getting up in the morning and saying, Okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to work today in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to do my job the best I possibly can. I'm going to have the best work ethic. by the best attitude I possibly can. Instead of complaining and, and groaning, I'm just going to, I'm going to have the best attitude. I'm going to treat people with, with honor and respect. I'm going to love them and be kind to them. I'm going to be the aroma of Christ in the workplace. That revolutionizes what we do every day. We can think about that in our civic Involvements that we're in, our recreation life, whatever it is, we're, we're just doing everything 
In the name of Jesus, our family life, our families are committed to serve the Lord. We've just made everything about Jesus. That's what He intends. And that's, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We're to surrender to Him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Our entire lives are presented to Him to live for Him. That's what He wants. That's how you start living an eternal, uh, a life that, that has an eternal impact. We serve Him in the local church. We're devoted to that local body. We witness for Him in daily life. We offer praise to him. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about offering sacrifices of praise to him. We deal with difficult people, not in a way where we say, you know, I don't like that person, so, you know, I don't like, I perceive this about them or that about them, and so I'm going to treat them differently than everybody else. No, maybe God's prodding us along to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love that person no matter what. I'm going to be kind to that person. I'm going to, I'm going to open my heart to that person. He's producing biblical love within us. The Bible says in verse 29, closing out this section, our God is a consuming fire. Now, this could mean eternal punishment, and that's certainly true, but I don't think that's what's being referred to here in this context. It could mean God's acceptance of Obedient sacrifices, kind of some, you know, sacrificial language there. Or it could mean, which I believe this is what it means, it speaks of the fact that you and I one day as believers are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to give an account for our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says that. Have we used our time wisely? Have we truly lived a life that counts for eternity? As our Lord said in John chapter 15, verse 16, is there fruit of our lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes this judgment. Now remember now, it's not judging to see if you're saved or not. I mean, that's settled in Christ. This is judgment to how we've lived that life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. That fire speaks of the judgment of Christ. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive the reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." Now, wood, hay, and straw speaks of a life 
that has been lived for material things. It's life that's not lived for the Lord. We're not moving on with Him, not serving Him, not obeying Him, not living life by the word of truth. It's just, you know, we go to church, read our Bibles occasionally, and then we just kind of live life the way we want to. That's a life that's made no eternal impact. And before the Lord one day, that life burns up. There's nothing to show for it. Gold, silver, and precious stones speaks of a life lived for eternity. I mean, this one lived in obedience to God, one serving God, one worshiping Him, one witnessing for Him. Life revolves around Him. That life before the Lord someday will have something to show that will glorify God because they have gone on with the Lord. They have made life about Him. They have not wasted their, their lives. I believe many of us need to hear that warning from Scripture today. And we need to turn away from the world, self, and we need to go on with the Lord. We need to walk with Him. Colossians 3.1 says, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. 1 John 2.6 says, If we abide in Him, we also ought to walk just as He walked. Now that word walk is the word that means to conduct life in the original Greek language. That's what we need to be after. And it begins with our own repentance, our own surrender, our, our own refusal to disobey Him, and our surrender to serve Him acceptably, as the Scripture clearly says. Remember now, we have the responsibility. The choice is ours today. We move on with Him or we refuse to. And we can expect His discipline because He loves us. So where are we today? I'm going to give invitation here in a moment for us to stand and sing, and I'm going to invite us to come to the altar. I'm going to invite us to come and just spend time with the Lord and surrender to Him. Maybe you just want to come pray for some folks. Maybe you've really... The Lord's helped you and you got things going in your life, but you want to pray for others. Or maybe you just need to come and, and talk with Him. I mean, it's easy not to do those things, but we've got this moment right now to do business with God. Now, for some of you, listen, for some here, you, you don't know the Lord yet. So you don't, you don't have a relationship with Him yet. You may think you do. You say, well, oh yeah, I, I talk to Him every day and... I believe in Him, but it's, it's all intellectual for you. It's all kind of religious for you. There's never, you've not really entered into a relationship because you've not truly repented and, and, and surrendered to Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you've not even come to the point where you believe that, you, that you're in sin. Like the Bible says every human being is if they're not redeemed. And you need to be rescued. And you believe that Jesus did what was necessary to atone for your sin, now you must surrender to Him as your Lord and Savior, and He will appropriate His sacrifice in your life. 
forgive you and reconcile you to God, make you a child, a son or daughter of God. That may be where some of you are today and, or maybe even some online. If you're here, I'm going to invite you to come to me and, and let me know that you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. Again, the altar's open for us to come and do business as God. Maybe some need to join the church. Before I pray, let me read you a quote that I came across in my reading from A.W. Tozer. He wrote this. Today we seek God and stop searching. Whereas early saints sought God, found Him, and continued to seek more of Him. May we follow the example of the saints of old. And let's keep seeking after Him. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this text. I thank You for this message that comes from Your Word. And I thank You for its impact in my life. And I pray, Lord God, now that it is making impact on those gathered here. Lord, these are holy moments where we need to do something about what You've said to us. And I pray we don't leave here resistant but I pray we leave here redeemed or surrendered. And so I'm praying right now for you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.